Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristram Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bowl with Disability is Growing Bowl with Sport. And our guest is Mr. Adam Hills, a comedian, radio and TV presenter, and was also born without a right foot. And unfortunately, is a supporter of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. For the uninitiated, that's a rugby league team. In this episode, we'll hear about Adam's life growing up and where his love of rugby league came from and how he helped establish the World Club Challenge winning Warrington Wolves Physical Disability Rugby League team. Adam Hills, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. G'day, pleasure to be here. So Adam, let's start by jumping back in time a little bit. And you were born without a right foot. Do doctors know why that happens? No, absolutely no idea. Uh, I mean, I could throw around theories, but, you know, my mum's convinced it's because she was lifting boxes and moving house before she knew she was pregnant. But in reality, no one has any idea why I was born without a right foot. So tell us, where exactly is it from the knee down? Is it from the ankle down that's missing? Uh, so I have a weird one. I've got an ankle joint and then it, it was it was, it was was a, a malformed foot, if you will. So there's a heel. There's kind of – it's almost like a little stump, but I can, I can move it up and down with the ankle joint. And it had two little toes on top of it that I could never move. One of them had a toenail on it. Um, and the only thing I've ever seen like it was when I was really young uh, at my grandparents' place watching a TV show – and they managed to film the formation of a fetus over time. And at a certain point of time, the feet of the fetus were exactly the same as what my little right foot looked like. So, you know, from that, maybe at a certain point in growth, you know, some oxygen was cut off or something. Who knows? No one really knows. But so, yeah, I can, I can bear weight on it. I can stand on it. But it means that it's shorter than my other legs. So if I don't walk with a prosthetic, then it throws my it throws my back and my hips out. Okay. So grow, growing up with the prosthesis, did that limit you in any way from sporting and all that sort of thing? Because you're a kind of a sporty guy, aren't you? Well, yeah. I mean, I grew up in the, the Sutherland Shire. Uh, you know, not far from Cronulla. It was a pretty sporty place <laughs> to be, just generally. Um, <laughs> It never really stopped me. I mean, I, you know, I grew up playing and watching rugby league. Uh, I started being coached in tennis when I was probably about five and I ended up playing that competitively. Um, so it didn't, you know, it didn't really hold me back. And that's, you know, that's the thing at school. Kids always pick on someone who's different. But if I wore trousers, no one could tell the difference. In fact, I remember one year when summer came around and I put, a, put on a pair of shorts and one of the other kids went, hey, what happened to your leg? And I kind of looked at him and he went, oh, sorry, I just completely forgot. <laughs> so it didn't really hold me back in any way. And so at school, would you describe yourself as being academic, sporty, the class clown? What, what were you? Uh, I was definitely – I was probably more academic if I had to choose one of those. I was pretty well behaved. I was pretty diligent. Um, I worked hard. I was very polite. Uh, I was the class clown when it was my turn. So if I had to give a presentation or a uh, speech or something like that, I would make it funny, but I, I wasn't the disruptive guy. 
Um, having said that, I also play, you know, I played touch football. Uh, I guess I played a little bit of cricket. I played golf. I wasn't particularly great at any of them, but I gave them all a crack. Um, so I was a little bit sporty. I was funny when it was my turn, and but I was pretty studious. So before we get into the rugby league side of things, let's just quickly touch on the comedy side of things. Saying that, you weren't sort of the class clown, but you're a little bit more academic. Where did that love for comedy come from? Well, I was, I was comedically academic. I was a bit of a comedy nerd. So, I mean, I had a dad who, who flew for Qantas, but he would bring home comedy albums. So I think one of the, the earliest I remember was there was a Peter Sellers album. There was a guy called Alan Sherman who did song parodies. but And, and the song parody that everyone would know would be the Hello, Marta, Hello, Father, Here I Am at Camp Granada. Oh, yes. And so he would use classical, yeah, he would use classical tunes and then change and write words to them, and then turn them into song parody. So, I guess through my dad, I developed a love of comedy. And also, the other thing is, my dad, because he he was Qantas cabin crew, you know, he'd be away for maybe ten days at a time, but then he'd be back for five with no work. He he'd be home and he had nothing to do. So we'd get home from school, do our homework, and then we'd just sit with dad and we'd watch TV together. And it'd be like Bugs Bunny or it would be old episodes of MASH or the Benny Hill show. So comedy was kind of the thing that our family really got into. And then gradually it was like Bill Cosby albums, uh, Billy Connolly, Robin Williams. So, you know, in in terms of, to, to put it into perspective, when I hosted Speaks and Specs, Alan and Miff were the music nerds and were really excited when someone like Robert Forster from the Go-Betweens would be on the show. Mm. Whereas I was the comedy nerd, I lost my mind when Weird Al Yankovic came on the show. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> it's so where it's through all of this, where did the rugby league love come from? The passion for that? Well, again, it came from my dad. So when I was three days old, he brought a red and green toy South Sydney rabbit into the hospital for me, which I still have, by the way. Um, he grew up in Maroubra. His dad grew up in the rocks, uh, but worked at Holden's alongside John Sattler, who ended up playing for the Rabbitohs. So, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you grew up in the Rocks in, let's say my granddad was born in 1918, then you were a South Sydney supporter. So it's been in our family for a 100-odd years. So, you know, my dad was a Rabbitohs supporter. And, and the other thing was I grew up, in, the, like I said, in the Sutherland Shire, so I wasn't surrounded by Rabbitohs supporters. So you kind of... <laughs> I don't know. It becomes a you, you cling onto it a bit more tenaciously. I think you know it becomes a bit of a rebellion in order to remain a Rabbitohs supporter through thick and thin when everyone around you is a Cronulla Sharks fan. So, it, you know, I grew up watching it. I grew up playing it as as best I could, and then probably you know I played for the Ginelli Boys High School B team, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I guess I got to about probably 13 and 14 and got to the age where to be honest I think mainly what happened was the, the the guy who coached rugby league at our school left and then a new teacher came in and he took over rugby union and I didn't really get rugby union and also I was in an age where you know 13 or 14 the prosthetic starts to hold you back a little bit and so then kind of tennis which I'd been playing all along became my main focus and so then I concentrated on tennis after that. So were you allowed to play rugby league once you hit that age with, you know, the prosthetic or not? 
Well, that was the other thing. I mean, it, it then got to the point where, mm. you know, if someone went down to tackle me around the legs, they were probably going to do themselves more damage than me <laughs> because it was a pretty <laughs> stolen piece of equipment going on down there. <laughs> I mean, even now, now that I've got back into it, even though I'm playing disability rugby league, um, I still... So for, for a long time when I started playing it again, I was really worried that someone was going to hurt themselves. They were going to go in for a tackle. You know, it's it's carbon, it's solid carbon. You can run over it with a car mm. and it won't break. And it's also then got a titanium mm. blade on it, which is indestructible. So I didn't, honestly, for ages, I didn't know. You know, no, no one else was worried, but I was worried that I was going to hurt someone. And then eventually one of the guys turned up to training one night in our disability team and he has an arm disability. He's kind of injured himself in a car accident and he has to protect it. And he had bought a couple of mixed martial arts arm guards. And I went, yeah. oh, hang on, maybe I can get some shin guards. So I bought one for the front and one for the back. So now when I play, I have these soft cushion mixed martial arts Conor McGregor style shin pads on. <laughs> Not for my benefit. Just on the one leg. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, just on the one leg. So it's kind of for two reasons. One, it protects them. But two, it's so obvious it stands out that it basically says, honestly, don't get your head anywhere near this. You'll hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on that, let's – Let's go to 2017. Tell, tell us how a little tweet about the South Sydney Physical Disability Rugby League team changed everything for you. Well, yeah, it was literally that. It was a tweet that said, uh, are you aware that the, the South Sydney Rabbitohs PDRL team won last weekend? Um, I had no idea what PDRL was, so I looked it up and it was Physical Disability Rugby League. I didn't even know that existed. I then went online, I watched a few videos and went, oh, yeah, this looks amazing. There's people with disabilities actually representing the Rabbitohs. So I called up a guy called George Tonner who was in charge of the PDRL and basically had invented it. So he, his story is fascinating. He, he represented Australia in the Paralympics in 2000 uh, in the five-a-side or seven-a-side football. It was the, the cerebral palsy class. But he'd always wanted to play rugby league, so he basically invented rules for physical disability rugby league. So he talked me through it, and it's, it's nine aside. It's a slightly narrower field. Um, each team has two players in red shorts, and they are able uh, – sorry, um, red shorts can't be tackled. So you've got two mm -hmm. players in red shorts who maybe have spinal injuries or acquired brain injuries. They, they are touch. You touch them and they touch you, regardless of what shorts you're wearing. Yeah. Then you've mm -hmm. got five full contact players – and then you have two able-bodied players who aren't allowed to run more than 10 metres and aren't allowed to score, and they are there purely to facilitate the disabled guys. So he invented mm -hmm. all of this. Um, you know, if, if you knock on, it just counts as a tackle because you've got people with one arm, you've got people with cerebral palsy, with coordination problems. It's not fair to go, ah, oh, you dropped it, hand over. So all these little intricacies he came up with, he invented this sport. So I called him up. And said, look, I'm, you know, I'm interested in supporting and maybe, you know, I'd love to have a run for the Rabbitohs, which, to be honest, was my first priority, but I didn't want to open with that. Yeah, <laughs> let's get that straight. Yeah, yeah. Let's make it look like I'm here to help. <laughs> um, and he, said, he said, look, mate, you know, you're living in London. It's going to make it tricky to commute to Redfern Oval. Uh, he said, but as it happens, he said, I've just been contacted by someone from the Warrington Wolves rugby league team um, in the north of England. Maybe when you get back to London, give them a call. 
Uh, and so I, I went back to London. I called up this guy called Neil Kelly, had a chat to him, and he said, well, why don't you come up? He said, we've got one game left in the season um, and we're going to have a captain's run, you know, two days beforehand as per. Why don't you come up? We'll get some cameras down. We'll get some publicity along. We'll get some some of the disabled people who work for the club and we'll all have just a bit of a run against the first grade team. And he said, bring your boots. Maybe you can have a bit of a run yourself. And, I mean, that was it. We ended up in full kit playing at the Halliwell Jones Stadium um, against the actual first grade Warrington Wolves rugby league team. I mean, we've made a documentary about it. And I said in that documentary, if someone's trying to get you back on the gear, that is some pretty pure stuff. <laughs> so, so hang on. So you only then what about your daily travel for training and so forth? Because what's the distance from where you are living? Um, I think it ends up being, I think it's like a 600 kilometer round trip. <laughs> um, but I take, luckily there's a train. I mean, this is ridiculous. There's a train from London to Glasgow. Uh, but the first stop is Warrington and that's an hour 45. So every Tuesday, I'm really lucky that on a Tuesday, we, I go into the city in, in London in the morning. I go to the last leg office. We spend a couple of hours planning out that week's episode of the last leg. Then I go to Euston station. I take a, a train up from Warrington. It takes me an hour 45 to get there. Um, we train for about two hours and then I get an 8.30 train back to London. Wow. That's dedication. So I, get, I get back to London at about, I don't know, 11, 11 o'clock at night. I get home at about 11 o'clock at night. But it is so, like having said that, it Goodness. is 200% worth it. Look, the way I figure it is I could pay for a gym membership. I could go to the gym on a Tuesday night <laughs> for a couple of hours. I could do my thing and get a bit of a kick out of it. Or... I could pay for the train ride up to Warrington. I then get to play rugby league. And when I say play, play rugby league, firstly, it's full contact. So it is proper hits. It is mm-hmm. proper bruising <laughs> hits. We mm-hmm. have a coach supplied by the club who, and this is all through the Wolves Foundation. They have an incredible foundation that, that um, they have disability uh, dance classes. They have dance classes for the elderly. They have a dementia-friendly cafe. They do all this amazing community work. So they provide us with a coach and he flogs us, absolutely (laughs) physically flogs us. There was was one training session a couple of months ago where at least three of us, myself included, vomited at some point during the training session purely (laughs) because of physical exertion. Um, And he, you know, and and on top of that, one of the able-bodied guys that plays with us is a guy called Sean Briscoe. Now, he played for England. Uh, in the centres and I think at fullback. So you're training, you're learning rugby league, which, you know, I haven't played again since I was, what, 13, 14, alongside someone who represented mm. his country and he's giving you tips. He's he's kind of going, right, on the next play you do this and you go, man, I, what? On top of anything else, what an experience <laughs> to learn rugby league at that level alongside someone who played for their country. So it's so addictive that every Tuesday night, you know, that two-hour train ride, I get work done on the train. I'm, at, I'm in Warrington, which is a complete – it's a world away from television and comedy. Mm. No one gives a toss that I'm the guy off the telly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we play rugby league as hard as we can and train for, for two hours, and then I sit on a train home, and it's just – I have a great week after that. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, well, tell us also, what about, how did the World Club Challenge come about? And also, you've got to fill Tristram in. I don't know if he knows this. Who was your able-bodied player on your team as well when you did the World <laughs> Club Challenge here in Sydney? <laughs> that, was, that was pretty awesome too. Well, the whole, okay. So the whole idea behind the World Club Challenge, when, when, when I first, you know, found out about the Wolves, I thought, well, hang on, here's a chance. I could learn rugby league. Why don't we? And the first thing I did was call a producer, a guy who used to produce The Last Leg and direct The Last Leg and said, look, I think we can turn this into a documentary. Maybe let's follow with a camera. But my thought was, let's form a Warrington team. Let's train. Let's get them up to speed. Let's do a fundraiser. Let's bring them out to Australia. We'll play an exhibition match against the Rabbitohs. I can play for the Rabbitohs. Everyone, you know, everyone gets a dream uh, tick in their box. Yeah. Now... So we did that. We formed the Warrington team. But then Leeds jumped on board. Leeds went, hang on, that's a great idea. We'll form a team and then we've got two and we can play against each other. And then Wakefield came on board and then Castleford came on board. So within the space of four or five months, we had four English physical disability rugby league teams. Now, after the Leeds beat us in the first game, 22 to 10. And it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. They really took this seriously. And there were some... You know, the only thing English people like hitting harder than an Australian is an Australian off the television. (laughs) (laughs) So they gave it to me. Now, after that game, I wasn't too depressed. It was like, okay, we had a crack. We got beaten. But the director of the documentary came up. and No, it was actually Neil from the Wolves went, mate, we can't go out to Australia as losers. <laughs> we, can't, we can't be the worst team in England, but then we go out and have an, a friendly <laughs> exhibition game. Oh, that's a good point. He said, we really need to step it up. So we ended up winning every game after that. Um, but yeah. as it happened, the, the Rabbitohs ended up winning their premiership in Sydney. So we kind of went, well, hang on. We're now, we're now going out to Australia as the best team in the UK. The Rabbitohs are officially the best team in Australia. This is like the World Club Challenge. We can we can call this a World Club Challenge now. The only problem <laughs> was I didn't know who to play for because my dream was to play for the Rabbitohs, but I'd been training <laughs> with the Wolves and you want to make the sport look as good as possible. And I was I turned I was having dinner one night in London with Russell Crowe and I mentioned this to him and I said, "Look, I said, I, what do you think I should do because you own the Rabbitohs. You you get that I love the Rabbitohs." And he got really serious and he went, mate, you've got to earn the jersey. I said, you can't, you can't just turn up, put on the red and green and suddenly you're a rabbito. You've got to train with them. You've got to work with them. They've got to, you've got to be part of the team. And I went, I know this is exactly my problem. And he said, let me think about it. Then about a month later he texted me and he went, How's, how about this? He said, how about I sponsor your jersey so that you play for the Wolves but you've still got the rabbit on your chest. And it was a really, really, really lovely gesture. Because he wanted me to, to yeah. do my best for the sport, for play with my, to play with my mates. And the hardest part of all that was, and so we did it. We ran out on ANZ. You know, we ran out with our team. I had the rabbit on my chest next to the wolf. Um, the ground announcer decided to play hungry like the wolf because we're the wolves. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then the Rabbitohs took to the field and glory, glory to South Sydney started playing. Oh, what did you do? And I had to shut it off. I had to walk <laughs> away and literally blank it out and sing something else because I couldn't let that song get into my head before the game. <laughs> no, <laughs> playing against them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so as far as that able-bodied player, we kind of thought, well, 
you know, there, there are a whole bunch of Aussie players who had been over to England and played for Warrington. And we thought, well, why don't we ask a couple of those guys who were who kind of legends to step up and play with us? So the first was Matt King, um, who, of course, you know, played for the Storm, played for the Rabbitohs, uh, and played yep, for Warrington. Yep. And the second was Andrew Johns. The immortal. Oh, Joey Johns only played about three or four games for the Wire, but they – the Wire, by the way, is the other name for the Wolves because before okay, they yeah. were the Wolves, uh, they were called the Wire because that was the main industry in town. So Joey had played for the Wire, I think, three or four games, but just creamed it every time. So I took, I ran out on ANZ Stadium with Matt King on one side of me and Joey Johns on the other. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> And there was an amazing moment where, I mean, two amazing moments. One uh, was just Joey calling my name and sending a ball out to me on the wing is lovely. But there was yeah. another moment where he went, right, he grabbed one our other winger. I think he was, he was dead keen on putting me in for a try. And he grabbed our other winger and he went, Tony, you go over to Hillsy's side. We'll get it out to him. We'll put him in in the corner. And Tony went, I can't. I don't have a left hand. I can only catch if it comes to me on my right hand. <laughs> Oh, you got to tell us the result too. What happened? Well, we ended up winning. I think. I mean, I should not. I think it was thirty-four to twelve, and um, so we officially became the world champions. Um, oh, what was lovely though was after all of that, we then came back to England. So that was twenty seventeen. No, mm. twenty eighteen. Mm. Twenty eighteen. That was. Yeah. We came back to England. The RFL completely jumped on board behind it in England and said, "Right, let's set up a, a proper season now." Let's have so it was us, Castleford, Wakefield, Leeds, Wigan. Um, every month we'd all get together and we'd play two matches uh, each. It was a bit of a round. By the end of the season, we played ten matches. We were top of the table at the end of the season. We lost our first game and won everything after that. We went into the semis. We won the semi. We won the grand final. So we became not the, you know the first world club champions, but the first UK champions as well. Wow, amazing, phenomenal. Where where is it at here in Australia? I know that the Gold Coast have got a team. Obviously, South Sydney got a team. Have there any of the other NRL has got teams? It's a weird one in Australia. So, in in the UK, it, it's the clubs and the clubs foundations that set up the team. Whereas in it started off in Sydney with George Tonner about I, I think maybe seven or eight years ago, but separate from the NRL, it was just a group of guys that kind of got together. They were allowed to use the club's names. So there's the Rabbitohs, Roosters, the West Tigers, uh, the Sea Eagles, the Newtown Jets, mm -hmm. and I think the Parramatta Eels are starting up this year. So there are six in New South Wales. You're right, the Gold Coast have just started one up as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it, it's developed in two different ways in two different countries. Here, the sport was invented. It's a bit more... Uh, inclusive. Uh, it's a bit more about everyone having a go, but it, and it's not being overseen by the NRL. Whereas in the UK, it's overseen by the RFL, and it's mm. in a weird way a little bit more competitive. I think here, here they kind of look at you and go, "Do you know what? Your disability is not enough of a restriction that it, you can play." Whereas over in England, they're going, it "Doesn't matter what the disability is. If you're missing two fingers, come on and turn up and have a crack." <laughs> So somewhere between the two, we're kind of all talking at the moment about how to learn from each other and how to make it an even playing field 
between the countries as well as within the countries. Fantastic. I love it. Perfect. Brilliant. I have a confession. I actually play power chair rugby league and that involves 200 kilogram wheelchairs hitting each other. They're like Mad Max style beasts. And there's something amazing about it, playing sport. Because, you know, doctors told me you'll never play sport. Here I am hitting other guys and it's brilliant. What what is it about sport? Why why is it so, you know, adrenaline and it's just phenomenal? Well, I mean, the captain of our team has a master's, I think it is, in sports and mental health. And he told me, look, I'm going to be very vague about this, but I remember him saying one night that when you exercise as part of a team, you give off somewhere between five and seven times as many endorphins as when you mm. exercise on your own. Wow. So you think about how you feel when you go to the gym and you have a really good workout or a really good run, you're exhausted, but you're kind of really fired up as well. Multiply that by five to seven because you're working with other people, you're bouncing off them, you're working against other people. It becomes way more addictive. You get to learn to work as part of a team. You learn confidence. And I look, I've played um, wheelchair rugby league as well, not the power chair, but the the kind of you know pushing yourself mm-hmm. chair. Yeah, um, yeah. It's full. It's there's something about coordinating with other people in a sporting sense that whether it's just you know, winging it and somehow improvising a play, or whether you've got a set play that comes off, there's something really satisfying and addictive about about doing that. And I think we found with our, you know, all the guys that turned up to play with us were all have all increased in confidence and mental health just from doing this because you don't just become buddies on the field. You, we have a WhatsApp group. We're all there for each other. If someone's mm. having a down day. They'll post about it and we'll all help each other out. So and, and I found myself like my my self-esteem has gone through the roof because of this. And part of it was being a comedian, I, I always thought I had to be the loser because that's what you are as a comedian. There's nothing funny about winning all the time. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like Yeah. The comedian is the guy that gets things wrong. And so to be out there on a rugby league field with a whole bunch of other guys counting on me, and I think maybe that was the difference. With tennis, if I make a mistake, at the end of the day, I walk off with my head hanging down because I've let myself down. But if you're on the rugby league field, you've got in PDRL eight other guys on the pitch. If you make a mistake, you've let them down as well. Mm. And I always had this feeling of I'm going to stuff it up, I'm going to stuff it up, don't stuff it up, don't stuff it up. And... I had a real turning point. We played a game against Leeds last year and they were our big rivals and it was six all with about 30 seconds to go and I took an intercept and scored a match-winning try. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not not realising it was 30 seconds to go and it was a stroke of luck that the ball came to me and I just grabbed it and ran and hoped for the best. But afterwards I had a moment of, I didn't stuff it up. <laughs> I did all right. <laughs> Nothing funny happened. We actually won. And then the next game we played, our captain had injured himself. And so coach took me aside and said, Hilsey, I'm going to ask you to captain for this week. And I kind of went, oh, I don't – again, I'm, I'm the idiot. I'm the, I'm the loser. I'm the guy that makes mistakes all the time. I'm the jester. I can't be captain. And he went, mate, you're already a leader on the field. It's not that much of a step up for you. And so then I captained the team for that week and we won both our games and then I captained for the next two games and we won again. And then when we got to the grand final, uh, Jason and I co-captained, 
And I kind of walked away from all that and went, I'm a different, I'm so much more, this is ridiculous Mm. that at the age of 49, I'm still finding things that make me more confident as a person. But, you know, help not 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 stuffing things up and helping to co-captain a team to a to a premiership has just increased my mental health and and self-esteem and everything so to answer your question sport and in particular disability sport and this is the big thing i've learned it's not just about playing a game it's about mental health it's about friendship it's about self-confidence you know I've been, I'm kind of, I know I'm preaching to the converted, but I've been preaching for quite some time now for the last few years that (laughs) if governments would realise that funding disability sport is the same as funding mental health, then so much more can be achieved because I think sometimes people see sport and particularly disability sport as, oh, yeah, do you know what? They deserve to have a crack. It's not just a little funny, frivolous thing. Like, you know, if you want to talk in financial terms for a government, the amount of money that they would save on mental health mm. um, services by just letting some blokes go out and play, and, and women, because look, to be fair, we have we have women playing physical disability rugby league as well. Oh, great. Just letting people with disabilities play a sport, that's, you know, financially is going to save you so much. Nothing better than bunch of- Bashing into each other. That's, that's good for everyone's mental health. <laughs> Listen, I mean, you know, the other side is the medical bills from the rugby league start to rack point as well. The, the well, benefit just, for me is that I've already got my power chair, so I hurt myself. I've got a chair. I can just drive away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is it, can I ask, so when you're playing power chair rugby league, I know the wheelchair version that I played, it's pretty much, because wheelchair rugby, Murder ball, as Murder they call ball, it, yeah, yeah. doesn't yeah. isn't you know doesn't really follow the same rules as rugby union. Whereas wheelchair rugby league does. You have to pass backwards. You have six tackles, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Is it the same for power chair? It's very similar. The difference is, and this is going to get really confusing, but we don't physically have a ball. So instead, <laughs> wait, wait for it. Wait for You're going to love this instead, one, Adam. <laughs> instead, we all have numbers. So I was number two in my career. And so if someone passed me yeah. the ball, they'd yell out two, and I'd say, got it, and that signaled that I'd caught the pass. So it's right. the worst spectator sport in the world because you've just got everyone going two, got it, five, got it, six, got it, seven, got it, nine, got it. And it's just the worst spectator sport. But playing it is so sweet. It's amazing. Wow. That's great. And again, as a spectator, it might be hard to explain to someone the buzz that you get when you play it. But when you're mm, doing it, absolutely, you know, and again, I know from disability rugby league, but also from wheelchair rugby league, you man, if you go over and score a try, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you've got a ball in your lap, whether you're running, whether you're pushing, you've, you've, you've made a thing happen and that's it. You get a buzz out of that. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for Adam Hills's rugby career? Are you hanging up the boots? I mean, you are turning 50 this year, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's what everyone around me keeps saying. <laughs> um, well, look, here, here are a couple of things. So firstly, the last – so my wife and kids moved back to Australia last year. Um, the, my daughters were getting homesick and we figured, you know what, I filmed the last league in 10-week blocks. I can do 10 weeks in London and then like six weeks in Australia, 10 weeks in London, two months in Australia, do it that way. Mm-hmm. Which meant I would have to pull back on playing for Warrington. Um, but it also meant that when I was in Australia, I could play for the Rabbitohs. Oh. So <laughs> beginning of this year, I registered with the NRL and I was named 
uh, or was about to be named on the Rabbitohs PDRL team for 2020. Oh, my goodness. A dream <sighs> come true. If PDRL starts up, which, I mean, there's talk that it might start up in the next few months, then it's yep. entirely possible that this year I will play for the South Sydney Rabbitohs physical disability rugby league team. And you'll get dreams come glory, true. Glory. <laughs> now you would say, oh man if i could if i could score a try for the rabbitos that would be the happiest day of my life i think <laughs> apart from the marriage and the kids oh yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah, move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the longer term is that i really want to make sure that a physical disability rugby league world cup happens in 2021 so the the, the able-bodied world cup's being held and the women's and the wheelchair is being held in the uk next year uh, I think it's about September, October next year. Clearly, everything's up in the air with coronavirus, lockdown, all of that kind of stuff. But my plan was to, whilst I was back in Australia, to talk to the NRL about coordinating with the RFL to make sure that we could get an Australian, at, at the very least, an Australian and a New Zealand team over to play an England team at the end of 2021. Wow. Now... If my 50-year-old body is up to the task, <laughs> I would certainly love to be considered for the Australian team. You might be wearing the red shorts so, by then, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> so the long-term plan is, and this is what I love about it, and whilst being in lockdown, and this is, again, this is the, the power of, of, a, of a community foundation and rugby league and physical disability rugby league. So the first Tuesday night, that we all went into lockdown and none of us could train. Our coach on the WhatsApp group just put out, he said, quick quiz, lads, who's your favourite player, who's your least favourite player and which team do you support apart from the one you play for? And we all kind of answered not knowing why. And then he sent round uh, the alphabet, but every letter of the alphabet applied to a different exercise. So A is 15 press-ups, B is 20 crunches, C is 10 burpees, etc., etc. And he said, now you have to spell out each of those answers and film them and put them up on the group. <laughs> Excuse me. So for the next week, we all filmed ourselves doing these really hard workouts because Greg Inglis is a pretty easy name to spell out. The mm-hmm. South Sydney Rabbitohs is quite a long one. <laughs> and you have been so, posting them on Twitter. I've been seeing them. They look yeah, killer. Yeah. They are killer. And then, and, But then the following week, when we all knew what the task was, he said, right, clearly you know what, you know, you know what I'm looking for. So what I'm going to do is ask you again, but this time all of the names go into a kind of mystery bag and I'll just pull one out for you. And so a few people then thought it would be hilarious to put in really long names mm. and this time it was um, uh, soccer teams. So I ended up with Borussia Mönchengladbach. <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know, the idea that I could possibly, if I was in lockdown now and I wasn't playing rugby league, there is no way I'd be doing any physical exercise. Mm. I'd be trying to, but there'd be no motivation. Whereas now, the the, the possibility that I could be playing for the Rabbitohs in a few months' time means I'm doing those exercises every day. On top of that, I'm doing sprint training, I'm doing runs, I'm doing strength work, I'm doing whatever I can to make sure I'm in good condition and look, maybe I won't. Maybe maybe the competition won't happen or whatever. But it's just given me something to aim for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and certainly I think, you know, my, in this documentary that I made, my, my, my wife was quoted as saying, 
look, it's certainly a midlife crisis, but it's better than buying a Porsche or having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It is playing for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. It's up there. <laughs> well, and considering, considering I've had a fractured ankle, ligament damage, and was was knocked out for two and a half minutes on the field. I'm, I'd, I'd probably get the same if I had an affair. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> oh yeah, don't mess don't mess with Ali. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just look, it's amazing what it's given me personally, and what it's given everybody else in the team. And it's really, you know, in a lot of cases, changed our lives. You know, every now and then, one of the guys will put a, a message up on the WhatsApp group saying, you know, I know of at least three guys in that team that in the last five years or so have tried to take their own lives and they've they've not been particularly open about it but then they'll just put a little message up saying lads year ago this is what happened for me and now you know i'm I'm happier than i've ever been because of of rugby league so like i said the 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 benefits of sport when it comes to when it comes generally but when it comes to disability are it's not just physical it's mental it's emotional it's everything Fantastic. Uh, so, Adam, as you know, this podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability. What does living a bold life mean to you? Ooh, I will, I'll tell you what, I guess I'm, I'm going to play like Rorschach Test Word Association. I'm going to tell you Ooh. what it means to me through an example of something that happens to me, I, for, especially not just growing bold, but growing bold through disability. So, mm. when I was at high school, uh, I used to, whenever I wore shorts to school, I would pull my socks up to my knees because I didn't want the prosthetic to show. I knew everyone knew that I had a prosthetic, but I just didn't want it to look stupid. So I pulled my socks up to my knees. And after a while, I realized I looked stupid because I had my socks pulled up to my knees. <laughs> and so one day, I just had a moment in the morning of going, do you know what? Screw this. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'd rather people look at my leg my prosthetic than think I'm a nerd because I've got my socks pulled up to my knees <laughs> and I roll my socks down and it was kind of a moment of just this is me like it or lump it type feeling mm. and of course no one said anything about my prosthetic because they all knew and in many ways they kind of went well that's much better with your socks rolled down you <laughs> doofus <laughs> so for me growing bold through disability means kind of learning not to not to worry, in a negative way, not to worry about what people think of you, but in a positive way of saying that is to just own who you are and, and what you look like and and just be proud of it. Beautiful. Absolutely right. beautiful. Fantastic. Well, Adam, mate, thanks so much for joining us today on Grow Bold with Disability. And listeners can find out more about Adam and his physical disability rugby league journey on the great docker that he's mentioned a few times, Adam Hill's Take His Legs, currently on 10Play. And there's also links to it in today's episode show notes. Show notes. Mate, thanks so much for joining us today. It was so much fun. Absolutely pleasure. It's very rare I get to bang on about rugby league for that long without anyone telling me to shut up. <laughs> You're always welcome here, my friend. Anytime. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, 
an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.